You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. I love to read biographies. I read biographies of Christians and non-Christians. doesn't matter to me. I read biographies that you suggest to me, things that I see online. I, I just like to read how people live and, and why they make the decisions they do. I, I've learned so much even in my own life by reading bi- biographies of others. I can always tell, though, when I start a biography if I'm going to really like it, if I'm going to get kind of drawn through it, or if I'm just going to have to work my way through it. It, it, it. The opening will always tell you. For instance, this is Sammy Davis Jr.'s. They liked me. The audience was leaning into me, nodding, approving, catching every move I was making. And as I finished with Birth of the Blues, their applause was like a kiss on the lips. But I wanted to read the rest of it. Billy Graham, clutching his black Bible in one hand and a microphone in the other, Billy Graham stood outside in the howling wind in San Juan, Puerto Rico. The year was 1995. A satellite dish in the background was only one piece of a dazzling array of technology that had been assembled for one purpose, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I wanted to read the rest of it. A man who maybe you wouldn't typically read, but one that fascinated me, Salvador Dali. At the age of six, I wanted to be a cook. At seven, I wanted to be Napoleon. And my ambition has been growing steadily ever since. And I'm like already caught, and I've got to read the rest. And then you turn to the greatest life that's ever been lived on the planet. And how does it start? This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, and his brothers. Blah, 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 blah. And you go, really? Matthew, you need a better lead. <laughs> Who wants to read this? By the way, if you didn't know this, this is true. It's been proven many times. When we get to January 1st, people make resolutions, of course, and many Christians, particularly newer Christians, younger Christians, say, you know, I need to read my Bible more. And so they decide, I'm going to read a little bit every day. And most of them will say, I'm not going to start in the Old Testament. I don't understand that. So I'll start in the New Testament. And on the January 1, they turn to this and they start to read. And they go, ah, maybe I won't read my Bible. (laughs) Because it's not something that really attracts you. It's a genealogy. Why start with a genealogy, Matthew? Today we're going to begin a study of the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It's the study of a genealogy, and I know some of you might say, really? Doesn't that seem a bit boring? And I just want you to know, it isn't. It's not only amazing in many ways, but it's faith-inspiring, and I think you'll see that. Let me show you what we're going to study, and these are the next five studies counting today. They've already sung it for you, but here it is. Five golden kings we're going to look at today. Next week, four errant girls, then three different eras, then two famous dads, and we'll finish on Christmas Eve with a babe in a genealogy. Maybe we'll even sing it together at some point. Who knows? (laughs) Take your Bibles and your sermon notes, would you please, and join me as we dig into God's Word. It's easy to find Matthew chapter 1. 
Just uh, go a little bit more than halfway through your Bible and you'll find uh, the New Testament beginning. Usually you have a blank page there, find it, and Matthew 1 should be right beside it. Today I'm going to read a portion of it to you, probably more than you want me to read to you, but I think at least one time we should read it together. There are going to be two things that I want to teach you in the series. Number one is genealogies often seem boring and uninteresting, but they can provide insights that you might not catch in any other way. Genealogies give you some amazing insights. Secondly, Jesus was born of the perfect line to be the king and the Messiah. This genealogy confirms it, and as it confirms it, it strengthens my faith. I go, wow, this wasn't a chance thing. This was a plan of God, and it's planned perfectly as you would expect. Why study a genealogy? Let me give you some reasons. Number one, there are at least 340 genealogies in the Bible. Maybe more, but there's 340 at least. Obviously, they're important. Now, when I say 340, there are some that are only two or three generations, and some that are chapters long that include many, many generations. So genealogies are important. By the way, they're becoming more important today, and I think maybe it's just because it's so easy to test our DNA. So many of us has, have spit in that little tube and sent it in and gotten our results back, and I was terribly disappointed in mine. I don't know about you, <laughs> but I had nothing exciting about my, my DNA, my genealogy. Secondly, genealogies determine where you lived, what land you and your family owned, most of you know this map. This is a map from the Old Testament after Israel conquered the land of Israel, the Holy Land. They then broke it down as God told them in sections. And if you were a Jewish person, you were the line of one of the 12 sons. And so you lived accordingly to this map. By the way, in your notes, it says birth rate. That's one of those times that the spell checker got me. It should be birthright, okay? Who gets the birthright is determined by your genealogy. And so, as we're gonna see, Jesus, even though he was adopted son of Joseph, he still got the birthright because of the genealogy. Three, genealogies determined who were the priests and who were the kings. Today, if you can feel called into the ministry and it doesn't matter what your genealogy is, you might come from a home of no Christians whatsoever. It doesn't matter. If the Holy Spirit has called you into ministry, there you go. But in those days, that was not the case. In those days, the priests were determined by the tribe of Levi and the kings were determined by the tribe, at least in the southern kingdom, of Judah. And so if you weren't from that line, you weren't a priest or you weren't a king. The genealogy in Matthew chapter one teaches us, and this is kind of an overview of the whole series. Are you ready? That God is the God of the foremost, the most important people on the planet, the kings, the patriarchs, individuals like Mary, Virgin Mary, wow, she's well known. Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus here on earth, and many more, I should have put, comma, et cetera, there, because uh, all the famous people you can know, even today, he is the God of no matter how famous you are, he is still, can be your God. Secondly, he is the God of the fallen and the forgotten. 
There are four women in this genealogy that first of all don't even belong in a genealogy. We'll learn about that next week. Kind of forgotten. They are, there are people like Joseph and you go, well, hold it. You just said Joseph was one of the foremost. He is, he was. The adopted father of Jesus. And yet we've forgotten him, haven't we? You hear about the Virgin Mary everywhere, but you hardly ever hear anything about Joseph. And nobody's uh, going to read to you names in a few moments that if I gave you a test, most of you couldn't tell me one thing about the people that I'm going to read to you. He is the God of forever. The genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 is broken into three parts. You might not have, not, you might not have ever noticed that, but in two weeks we're going to look at that. There are three breakdowns of 14 generations each. Why? Well, there's a plan for that, and I'll explain it later. But what we learn is that it doesn't matter what age you lived. You could have lived in the time of David or in the time of Jesus. God was still God. Number four, we're going to learn about the faithful and the fathers. And our, our heavenly father is the God of the faithful, men and women, and of fathers. And when I say fathers, uh, I mean parents. But in this case, we're talking about specifically fathers. He is the God of all those who are faithful and all those who are parents. And lastly, he is, and most importantly, this is what we'll do Christmas Eve, he's the God of the firstborn. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus is called the firstborn. He's, it's amazing how that term is used, and we'll talk about that on Christmas Eve, but God the Father is the father of the second person of the Trinity, who chose the position of becoming his son, the firstborn. We're gonna learn that in this genealogy. Now, I'm gonna to read to you the scriptures. I realize it's not fun. I'm gonna read from my Bible because it's easier for me to follow that way. And uh, I'm gonna ask the guys in the booth if they would keep up with me on the, uh, on the slide so that you can follow along. Matthew chapter one, verse one. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nishon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. That's generation one, or the first section. Part two, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the exile to Babylon. That's part two. This is part three. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. 
Abihu, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, those are the 17 verses that make up the first genealogy that we have in the New Testament, the genealogy of Jesus. Someone asked me last night, did you pronounce those right? And I said, I pronounced them confident. So at least you'll think I said them right. I don't know if I said them right or not, but you get the gist. We've got a lot of names and most of those people, you don't know who they are. In that list of kings, there are five I wanna talk about. Before I do, a few thoughts. This genealogy includes 15 kings. All of these kings are from the southern kingdom of Israel. Those of you who've been through Grow or some other Old Testament Bible study, you learned about how Israel was split by a man whose name was Rehoboam into a northern and a southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom are the lines of the kings of Judah. That's Matthew chapter one. So, some of these kings are very wicked. All of them are fallen. Many of their sins are recorded for us in scripture. Wouldn't it be awful to commit sin like this and have it recorded for all time in scriptures? But that's what some of the kings had to deal with because some of them were very wicked. Even the, the best of them were fallen, as all of us are. Number three, in this genealogy, there are five kings that stand out from the others, in my opinion. They each are given a particular characteristics that, that although none of us can be just as they were, we could maybe show more of these characteristics ourselves. And that's going to be my point today. Five kings. Now, are these the five golden kings that everybody would choose? Not necessarily. I'm not saying these are the five, and if you have another five, you're wrong. I'm simply saying these are the five I've chosen. Maybe you'd pick some of the same and some different. Let me show you the five I choose. Number one, David. You almost always have to start with David. David has a heart for God. What a wonderful thing to put on your tombstone someday. This man had a heart for God. David was the first king of the line of Judah, and therefore he is called King David in the genealogy. Notice that maybe, you, maybe many of you don't know this, but the book of Matthew is all about kingship. And the word king and kingdom is used throughout the whole book, but king is only used one time in the first chapter. This is it, this is the one time. And Jesse, the father of King David, there are 15 kings, only one gets the title of King David. That's because he was the first from the line of Judah. He was a great king. And as you know, he committed some serious sin. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week with Bathsheba. But he was a king who had so many good qualities, but he also had some, I don't know, odd oddities, I'll say. It's like, here's a man of opposites, a man who was known for worship. He, he, he played music, he, he wrote music. We have 75 of his songs, at least, in our Bibles. Here was a music leader, a worship leader who also went out with his spear and javelin and killed people because he was a warrior and a great warrior at that. So he, he was a, an oddity. 
On one hand, he was like the kindest man, and I can show you examples of that in his life that you'll ever get to know, but he also at times was a very cruel man. He had a heart for God, and he was a passionate person, but his passion, when it got misdirected, became a heart for a woman that wasn't his. And so here's a man who was not perfect, but we gotta admit he was a great king for Israel. Most of all, David's heart was right. He was after God's heart. But now your kingdom will not endure, says Samuel. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler. He will be the king. A man after his own heart. Wow, what a thing to be said about any of us. The second king I'd list for you is Solomon, who's known for his wisdom. He was one of the greatest kings to ever rule Israel. Not my words, but you can read about it in scriptures. Not only do we know lots about Solomon, but we know a lot, a lot of good stuff about Solomon. He, he, he led Israel during a time of wonderful peace. In fact, that's the next note. Unlike David, his father, who was a warrior, known for killing, even killing the giant Goliath, right? Here's Solomon, who's not known for killing anybody. He was a man for, of peace. And because of that, God said to David, you can't build my temple because you're a man of blood. But your son, he will build the temple. And so today, we call that first temple Solomon's temple because he was a man who loved the Lord at least for a period of time and ruled in a time of peace. But he is best known for his wisdom. And we have examples of that in scripture. In fact, we have a whole book that we call the book of Proverbs because they are mostly sayings of the man who we know as Solomon. He was so wise. Let me read this to you. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. One man, one single human being was wiser than all of the wise men of Egypt because God made him so. And he used that wisdom until he became a foolish man near the end of his life. He used that wisdom to govern. Thirdly, I would pick Asa. Now, when I was a kid growing up, I always heard this guy called Good King Asa. And Good King Asa, I know at Christmas time we talk about Good King Wenceslas, but today we're gonna talk about Good King Asa. But you know, it never says that in the Bible. It never says Good King Asa. It's just the tagline we've given him because he just does good things. He's just a good man. He's not known for being a, you know, a great heart or a warrior like David or wisdom like Solomon. He's just a good person. Throughout the years, Asa has been known, as I said, as good King Asa because he's just the kind of guy you'd want to have as a king. When you have a good person as a king, the people under him are often good people and this, the people of his country are often good people and so he, he ruled for a long time, 41 years and in that period of time he, he taught and he lived goodness. As I said, he ruled 41 years, turned Israel from evil. When he became king, Israel was evil but he led them toward godliness and goodness and he remained true to the Lord. Here's what it says. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them, so the Lord gave them rest on every side. In other words, war stopped. Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. Wow, what a wonderful thing to be said about any of us. 
The fourth king I would list for you is a man by the name of Hezekiah. Many of you know him, but he's known for trust. Not a warrior, not great wisdom, but he just trusted God. Now, here's the thing about trusting God that many people don't understand. Hezekiah was a good balance of trusting God while doing his part. That's what trust is. Trust isn't saying, God, I'm just gonna ask you to do this and I'm just gonna sit back and wait. No, if you are really, truly a person of trust, you pray and then you act. And you allow God to do what he is going to do. A number of years ago, I was in a courtroom. I was there only as a news reporter. Uh, I was there basically just to report. And um, a Christian man, who, by the way, I knew of him. I didn't know him personally, came into court. And the judge said, we have found you guilty. I think it was something like speeding or something. I don't remember. It wasn't a terrible crime. But you're guilty, and here's your fine. And I, I don't remember. We'll say $75 is your fine. And he says, you can pay that fine today. And, and the gentleman, the Christian man said, well, I, I, I won't pay it today because I prayed to God and God's gonna pay it. <laughs> and I still remember the judge laughing and saying, well, I can't wait to see that. And he goes, no, no, I've prayed. I trust God and God's gonna pay this. About a month later, this same gentleman came back in because he hadn't paid his fine. It was a simple thing. But no, he stood before the judge and the judge said to him, and in fact mocked him and said, God hasn't paid your fine yet, so you better step up. And he goes, no, no, I've prayed again and God's gonna pay my fine. And so he put him in jail. And he paid off his fine for, with a few days in jail, which, which is sad to me because people don't understand trust. You pray and you act. You, you pray, God, this is what we hope for. This is what we would desire. But we, in the meantime, will work toward it as well. One time, Hezekiah prayed, God, the enemy is coming at us. And the enemy may, may end up conquering Jerusalem. We just want you to save us. We pray that you'll save us. By the way, God did. But in the meantime, what did Hezekiah do? Well, he realized the water supply was outside of Jerusalem. And if, if the enemy cuts off the water supply, a siege won't take very long, will it? So he sent diggers, a group of men one direction, and he says, start at the well and dig, or it was actually a spring, and dig this direction through underground through Jerusalem. Then he sent another guy, a group of guys, and he says, I want you to start over here and I want you to dig this way, and we gotta do this quickly. And so they dug and they dug and they dug, and the Bible says they met pick to pick. Even today, we wonder, how in the world did they pull that off? But today, that tunnel's still there. In fact, I lead people through it every year. It's always fun to walk people through Hezekiah's tunnel, 400 yards through solid rock, hammer and chisel. What was Hezekiah teaching us? You pray, but you act. And he did this, and yet God did save them what a wonderful lesson on trust. He was known as a man who trusted God. It was contagious to his people. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah. Before him or after him, no one trusted like Hezekiah trusted. Lastly, I would list this as my fifth king, and his name is Josiah. Josiah was a man of worship, and let me tell you how. When he... When he became king, he was only eight years old. And 
Israel had fallen so far away from God that the temple itself was in disrepair. Nobody went to the temple. It was kind of rubble. Nobody had seen a Bible, the scrolls of the book, in generations. And so in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, he said, we ought to look to God again. And so he said, would you, would you guys just clean up the temple? And as they cleaned up the temple, guess what they found? The scrolls. The Bible was found. He asked them, would you read it to me? Let me read this. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. That's repentance. And from that point on, Israel was a people who worshiped God because they had a king who showed them how to worship God. He remained the rest of his life committed to God's word. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did. This was a guy who modeled worship. All his heart, all his soul, he turned to the Lord and the law of Moses. David, a great heart. Solomon had incredible wisdom. Asa was fully committed, a good man. Hezekiah trusted God. Josiah worshiped. By the way, all of them did some of those, or did, did those things in smaller ways as you do as well. What's the lesson? This is not in your notes. I just want to share this with you. When you think of all of these great kings and all of their incredible qualities, you think Jesus, when he was born, was all of these and more. He was... He had a greater heart than David and greater wisdom than Solomon and you can just go on and on because he was the son of God. All of these men were flawed except Jesus who his own brother said never sinned and he was the rightful and final king of Israel. That's what the genealogy teaches us. If you track it all the way, you come right down to Jesus who was the rightful king of Israel in that day and time. It's amazing how God put all this together that his son would be born to the right line at the right time, the final king. I'm gonna invite our worship team out, but as they come out, let's not finish our thoughts here. Let's take a moment to collect our thinking and think, how would we apply this today? Well, I would ask you first of all, is there one of those kings that you really relate to and you think, yes, that's kind of my model. I'm, I'm, I like to be like that person. And, and maybe there isn't one of those that really jump out to you. So then I would say to you, what is your strength? As a follower of God, what is it that God has gifted you to be able to do that seems to be unique? Something you love to do, maybe. If you put your name here and your strength here, what would that strength be? What would others say, he or she, is the kind of Christian that, and, and then lastly, what is your purpose in life? Every one of the people in this genealogy, even those you've never heard of that I read to you their names, every one of them had a purpose. So do you. None of us are here by accident. God has placed you here with a specific purpose and you're part of your genealogy and, and someday people will look back to you as a person who was their predecessor, maybe a father, mother, are you fulfilling your purpose? Take just a moment to think about that.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the perfect plan that resulted in the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this genealogy that shows us that this was your plan all along and nothing, nothing would spoil your plan. Father, I pray that you would help each of us today to stop envying those who have gifts and abilities and purposes that we would like to have. Forgive us for that. But Father, help us to be faithful to that purpose to which you called each of us. Help us to fulfill the plan that you've given us so that we might help to advance your kingdom, which is the goal of all of our lives. Thank you for the joy of our salvation. Thank you for the joy of this season. And thank you for the one who made all of that possible, your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.